Yes, all right. Good morning. You glad? Yeah, come on. Go ahead and clap. <laughs> yeah, by the way, that's not the sermon video song for the whole series. That's just for today, and hopefully you'll figure out why in just, just a few minutes. But I am so glad that you guys are here today. As I look around the rows, there are just so many people who are back for the first time, and we are so glad. True in first service, too. We had several, several people who were back for the first time. Welcome home. We're so glad that you are here today. God bless you guys. God is certainly, certainly good. Amen. I, it's exciting. It's, you know, it really is almost like Christmas morning. It's just like Christmas morning, uh, coming home and seeing family and friends. It's very awesome. Hey, listen, we start a new series today called Better Homes and Gardens. And the thought and the concept with this is, is that, um, of course, that's a magazine, obviously. But, you know, when we have better homes, we have a better outflow. We have better homes, the outside, the the outflow of our lives is better. So we're going to talk about in the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how we can have better homes so that the outflow of our families, of our marriage, of our lives are just better too. As the valine there says, better homes just make for better gardens. Better homes make for better gardens. We're going to start today in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15, and called the wedding garden. Yeah, have you ever thought about that? You know, um, recently we, we kind of like went, huh, how about that last three or four years? You know, there are very few weddings today done in churches. You know, we got one scheduled this year. I'm not sure, of course, last year was weird, right? Maybe it was COVID. But regardless, you know, we've seen a gradual decline in weddings being held in churches. It's been kind of strange, you know. Um, but but there's, that's okay because the first marriage wasn't done in church either. Um, anyway, so God, maybe God's got a better idea. I don't know. But anyway, so we want to look at today about the garden wedding, the garden wedding. Now, let me tell you a little bit of our story, um, and I'll tell you why at the end of the story. I'll tell you why, okay? So here it goes like this. On, on June the 26th, 1976, almost said 75, oops, okay, in 1976, Judy and I tied our lives together. It was a hot day in Georgia. Um, she was a young 18. I was a little bit older, 22. And uh, we were married in the church. Had the had my blue baby blue tux on with my velvet lapels and my velvet bow tie. Had my, had my Mickey Mouse shoes on. See, there's things in the 70s that I really appreciate. And you really don't appreciate that if you're not shorter. Okay, but being rather shorter as I am, anything I could do to increase, you know, my height was a good thing. And and I had my Mickey Mouse shoes on, had like a two-inch heel. I mean, it was really a great deal, all right. Which, by the way, it's kind of funny. You know, part of our wedding ceremony was the Lord's Prayer. They still do that, that you know, sometimes. We had a little altar and everything. And so, so we knelt down on this altar as, as somebody sang the Lord's Prayer. You know, we were doing that. And, and my best man, unknown to me, on the bottom of my souls, had put the words, help me. Help me. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, whoops, you know, kind of like that. But anyway, so that was that, you know, that's how it started. And again, keep in mind, there's a reason I'm telling you this. So we, you know, like newlyweds, we stayed in the hometown. I was stationed at Moody Air Force Base. I was a sergeant in the Air Force. And Judy said, I never married a preacher. I married a sergeant. And she was right. So we had a year in Valdosta, just kind of get our, our, our feet on the ground. And then we got orders to Germany. We got orders to Germany. And we spent three years in Germany. And this was really good because it taught us and made us learn leaving and cleaving. 
There was no calling mom, hey mom, we're short on money this week. There was none of that. It was us and the government and the Germans, and that's all there was. And so it was really good for us for three years to do that. Well, after three years, um, God sent us to Warrensburg, Missouri, um, where we stayed. And again, I was still in the Air Force. That's where I surrendered to preach, though, and uh, spent the last nine months at the Air Force in the Air Force and being a preacher. So it's kind of like a, a weird deal um, there. Had a couple of babies over in, in Warrensburg, so that was cool. And then called us, God called us from Warrensburg to a little town called Lamont, just a few uh, few miles away. And again, brand new in the pastorate, didn't know. I used to mow my grass in dress pants because I didn't know if preachers could wear jeans or not. That's the honest truth. I'm sure I was out there in the parsonage mowing my grass in my little dress pants and dress shoes on. So anyway, it's just kind of a weird deal. And we got to stay there three years. It was an incredible ministry. Uh, then we went to Cobden, stayed there 14 years. Uh, and again, Finally, in, in 2000, we came here, and it's been here the last 21 years. And so we are celebrating this summer of 45 years together and about 38, 39 years um, in, in the ministry together. And it's just been an incredible, incredible ride. And, you know, I wish I said it was all perfect. It was all, yay, boy, what a preacher and what a husband, you know. But it really wasn't, you know. Fortunately, in my life, I got a really good God, and I got a really good wife. And uh, really, I mean that too. I'm not just saying, you know, if she was here, she's in Georgia. But, you know, I, I would say if she's here, and I hope she knows that anyway, that God blessed me, you know, with a very great helpmate through the ministry and through raising our children and all of that, being a grandparent, a uh, grandmama, um, all that. But, but also, it's just, I got a great God. I got a great God. And so, but, but it's not been all easy. It's not been, we've had no major bumps, um, but, but it's not easy. You know, there were times financially lean. I remember when we first got married, we have $12.50. A week to live on. After we paid our bills and that stuff, we had $12.50 to live on. $25 we got paid every two weeks. That's just the way life was. And there was, like I said, some very, very lean times. There were some hard times with the church, you know. Uh, no, Brother Ed. Sometimes there were bumps when, I never forget, it was Christmas morning, we're opening presents, and the phone rings. So, you know, hello. Hi, this is Brother Ed. Now, you don't know Brother Ed, but Brother Ed was about 80 years old, and he loved God. I mean, he'd sit on the front row and go, preach it, boy, preach it. Preach it, boy. Well, he had, he had this lady friend. They weren't really like girlfriend, boyfriend, but they were close. And he had gone over there on Christmas morning. Her battery was dead. And Brent, he hooked it up backwards. And he had fried the computer. So, hey, boy, come over here and help me with this battery. And so, stupid me, I left my family on Christmas morning to go over and figure out I couldn't do anything about it, all right? But again, that was difficult for the family to understand. Why is Daddy leaving while we're still opening presents? Well, again, sometimes some not very wise decisions um, with family. But the bottom line is this. I tell you all of that to tell you this. I'm hoping after 45 years of marriage that I have earned some of your trust. Now, you didn't know me all those years, but just a testimony of that. I'm hoping that over the next five weeks, as we share together that I've earned the right to speak into your life on behalf of God and his word. That's what I'm hoping. That's why I told you the story. I want you to know that, that, again, it's not been perfect. It's always not been easy. Um, but God has been good and God has been faithful. And I want him to be, you to recognize he's been good and faithful in your life, in your life also. That's, that's my goal. So, so as we begin today, we want to look at our theme verse, okay? We have a theme verse, and it's going to be Isaiah 58, 11. It's just a verse we're going to touch on, okay? Just touch on. Keep on the idea of better homes and better gardens, that when our, when our inside, our home is better, it outflows into a better life that we have. And Isaiah writes these words, and they really are rich words. He said, the Lord will guide you continually. 
And I want you to realize over the next five weeks that as you do marriage, as you do family, as you do parenting, as you do career, as you do life, that if you are a Christ follower, that as you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, that God wants to and God will, if you ask him to, guide you, not part of the time. He doesn't, he doesn't leave you drowning, okay, and about to go under and just abandon you, that in the good times and the bad times and the hard times, he will guide you Continually, And then he goes on and says this, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. I love John 10, 10. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. God wants you to experience the abundant life. And when dry times come, he wants to give you the water when you're dry. He wants to restore your strength. I thought about Psalm 23, 3. You know, he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Continually eating and continuing allow us to drink from his well. The last part of verse 11 says this. You will be like a well-watered garden. You will be like a well-watered garden. When we choose to follow his guidance and we choose to drink from his well, we are going to be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. That's what God's desire is. Not, 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 Not just in marriage, not just in parenting, but our whole entire life, that's what God's desire for us. And it hinges on it hinges on being willing to follow him, being willing to follow him and being willing to drink from his well. Are you really willing to drink from his well? Well, our story starts today in in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 15, Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. And we're going to talk about how, how God brings about the first marriage in this garden wedding. Now, it starts in, in, verse, in, in verse 15. It says, The Lord, the Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Now, I really want to make a big point here, okay? And that is this, the words tend and watch. So God places Adam in the garden. But here's what he didn't do. He didn't walk over to Adam and say, Hey, here's the deed, dude. Here's your deed. Uh, It's your garden now. It's your garden now. No. You know what he did? He put the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. In other words, he teaches us, right off the the onset, the principle of stewardship. The principle of stewardship. Now, here's what I want you to get. I want you to get this. No matter if it's your life, no matter if it's your marriage, no matter if it's your children, no matter if it's your career, it's no matter your time, your checkbook, whatever it is, that everything that God places in your life, he has placed you as a steward. We are not owners. We are stewards. And we see that in that very first garden. He placed in there and says, now, I'm going to listen. Here's the deal. I'm going to let you be the steward. Look what it says. God entrusted the crown jewel of his creation to the crown jewel of his creation. You go, "Uh, Dwayne, I think you repeated yourself there. Well, see, the Garden of Eden was the crown jewel of his earthly creation. It was the the star of the show in in earthly creation, okay? But man was his crowning touch, his crown jewel jewel in, in animal life. Okay, in human life, okay? And so what happened was that God said, hey, you know what? I'm going to put my crown jewel in my crown jewel. But listen, I'm not going to give it to him to own. Rather, I'm going to let him be the steward of that. And I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes today, perhaps you've got the worship app open in, in the YouVersion Bible app. Write this down. We are stewards, not owners. So listen, this is just so I'm very clear. In just a moment, when we start talking about marriage, 
You don't own your marriage. You're a steward of your marriage. You don't own your children. You're stewards of your children. You're not owners of your talents and abilities. You are stewards of your talents and abilities. We don't own the church. We are stewards of the church. So he puts, he puts the man and the woman in there and tells them um, to tend and to watch over it. Then, then in verse number 16, we have, it's really weird. Here, here Adam is, is in paradise. Everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. And yet God gives him a warning. See, even, even in paradise, there are warnings. There are warnings. So in verse number eight or 16, the, the Bible says, but the Lord God um, you know, told Adam, listen, you can freely, aren't you glad he's a God of abundance? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Aren't you glad he's a God of abundance? Amen. I love this. I love this. Because again, he says, listen, I'm not going to give you anything to own, but I'm going to let you be a steward. And here's the deal. As steward, you can eat freely uh, from the fruit of every tree in the garden. Now, there's an exception Okay, but he says you can eat freely from every tree in the garden. Now, let me ask you a question. As you do your God thing, do you look at God and, as God of knows? See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The, board, the warning began with a blessing. The warning began with a blessing. God gave Adam free access to the garden with only one exception, of course, and ultimately that would be his downfall. But we have a tendency as Christians, as Christ followers, as believers, we have this tendency to focus on the nose. We're not careful. We start believing that God's a God of nose. God is a God of nose, but he's far more God of yes than nose. Come on, amen? Come on, grab a hold of that. Because here's what happens. We start, Satan starts saying, isn't that what, what Satan did to Eve in the garden? Did God really say you couldn't? He's casting doubts. So if we're not careful, you know, we go to church, we do our quiet times, however you get your God stuff in you, we start thinking about God said no, God said no, God said no. And we become followers of a no God. He's a yes God. There are exceptions and there are no's. But here's what I want you to take home. When there's a no, there's a reason. When there's a no, there's a reason. He is a God who loves us very much. And yes, he gives us no's, but the reason he gives us no is that there is a reason. We need to learn to focus not on the one exception, but on all the other trees that God told Adam you can eat from this. This book, this book is a wonderful book of yes. Now, now again, be careful. I understand there are no's, and they're there for a reason. But if all you concentrate is on no, 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 you're going to become legalistic. And you know what else is going to happen? You're going to teach your kids that there's a no God. No God, no God, no God. All God says is no, 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 no. And you're going to wonder why one day they walk away. The reason they'll walk away is because you told them about a God who doesn't exist. God is a yes God. Yes God. Now, there are no's. Keep in mind, I'm not saying God's yes to everything. But there's so many more yeses than there are no's. So, so God told Adam, listen, there's, there's one exception to the rule there, okay? So you need to be careful of that. And you know, when I, when I read this, when I saw this, okay, he, he goes on and says, verse 17, except, okay, remember that word, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. He said, listen, this is so important. Yes, yes, I want to bless you. I put you in this wonderful place. But there's one thing that if you do it, you're toast. 
You're toast. You're toast. If you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. You're, you're going to die spiritually. In other words, there'll be this huge gap between, between you and me that's not there now, okay? But also you're going to die physically. Pain, suffering will come into the world. And death will come into the world. You know, when I saw that word accept, something popped in my brain. I'm sitting there and I'm studying. I'm going, where did I see this word accept? I'm, seriously, this is true. So where did I see this? And I thought about it, and it was Joseph. It was Joseph. Let's take a look. Come on. See, see you, and let me, I wrote this, so I'm going to rewrite it because it, it, it wasn't good the way I wrote it. You know, Joseph, like Adam, that would be much better. Joseph, like Adam, had free access to the world, to their own world, before him with one exception. Okay? So he had all this free access and one exception. Joseph had it. Adam had it. Joseph resisted, and Adam didn't. So when the exception comes along, when your exception comes along, when there's, when there's, a, when there's a no, when God just says no, okay, what are you going to do with that exception? Are you going to say, sorry, God, I'm going to do what I want to do? Are you going to resist that temptation and obey God? Let's compare the two. You know, this is, this is Genesis 39.9. This is the story of Joseph. To give you a setup, he's now living in Potiphar's house. He is the manager of the house. Literally, he is in charge of the household, okay? Potiphar's at work, and Mrs. Potiphar is hitting on Joseph. Now, again, you need to read your Bible because what I'm about to say may shock you, but she walks up to him multiple times and says, come to bed with me, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. And so finally, it's come to a climax, and so she is just all over him. Come to bed with me. And here's what Joseph says. Now listen, this is how we should handle the exceptions that God leaves before us. No one, he says, in this house is greater than I am. He goes, now he's not bragging, he's saying the fact. Potiphar has put me in charge of the household. He, Potiphar, has withheld nothing from me, here's that word, except you because you are his wife. Do you find that funny? That he has to remind Mrs. Potiphar who she is? Uh, do you understand, Mrs. Potiphar, that you're a married woman? And you have no right to be approaching me? Okay? So his exception was, I'm sure Mrs. Potiphar may have been an older woman, but very attractive. And guys, you know how it is when women are just all over you. Oh, baby, you know, you, your just pride swells up. Okay, so he's like, huh, look what he says. Look what he says. How could I do this immense evil? Wow. If there is ever, when your exception comes along, okay, when you're tempted by the exception, you know, what a great answer. How, how could I, hey, Satan, Satan, how could I do this immense evil? Hey, boss. How could I do this immense evil? Excuse me, ma'am. How could I do this immense evil? Sir, how could I do this immense evil? And, and, and sin against God. Isn't that great? How could I, basically say, how could I sin against Potiphar? And how could I sin against my God? What a great response when the exception is staring you. And listen, listen, listen. It will stare you in the face. It will stare you. There'll come a time you can get a promotion if you'll just do wrong. Uh, you'll get a new girlfriend on the side if you'll just say yes. The exception will come up. What are you going to do with that? How can I do this immense evil? 
How can I sin against my God? And then there's Adam. Joseph has had a rough life. He's still a slave, even though he's got a plush position. And here's Adam in paradise. Surely Adam will get it right. Right? No. Listen to verse number 6 of Genesis chapter 3, the last part. So she, Eve, so she, Eve, took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he said, there's no way I'm eating that. Did you not hear what God said? God said if we eat that stuff, then we're going to die. You may have eaten it, but I'm not going to eat it. Is that what he said? No, he caved. I mean, without argument. She, you know, he was standing there, he hands her the fruit, and he eats it. Just like that. He caves. So what are you going to do when the exception pops up? What are you going to do with the exception? Are you going to stand firm and say, how can I do this? I mean, it's evil and sin against my God. Or are you going to cave? And listen, it's going to come. It's going to come. It may be your marriage on the line. It may be your life on the line. It may be your integrity, your character, your kids. But the time of exception is going to come. What are you going to do with that? So here's our teaching point. God gave the... Adam, a tree, I call it a tree of choice. And you say, why did God give a tree of choice? Well, God gave man free will, because you've heard this word before, these two words. God gave man free will because he wanted him to love and serve him freely. And that hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. He didn't want Adam to be a robot. He wanted Adam to be able to say yes or no. It was risky. Aren't you glad we serve a risk God? I mean, this was a risk. It was a risk. I'm glad we serve a risk God. A risk God. He gave him free will because he wanted Adam to love him freely. Have a choice. And guess what? It's the same thing with you. He, he could have made you a robot. He could have saved your soul and wired you and boom, just like that. Everything's yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. God doesn't want robots. He wants kids who love him. He wants kids who love him. So he gives you free will. And that's why God gave free will. And it doesn't, it's still true in the garden, and it hasn't changed even today. So let's look at verse number 18. So, the Bible says, So then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. So, so I didn't use this word earlier, I'll use it now. You know, we have stewardship, but we have guardrails. You know, he gives us a warning, a guardrail. Be careful. But now he, he wants us to follow. He wants to seek his will. I know this is a creation, this is a creation story. So, so the bottom line is we know very clearly that God's will for Adam is to have a mate. Okay? But as we do life, and some of you are married today and some of you are not, some of you are single, some of you are not, so you've got to ask yourself this question. You know, God looks at Adam and says, you know, it's not good for him to be alone. God figured that out for Adam. What about you? The world we live in today has married people and has single people. I mean, it's not as easy as it was in the garden. So, so my question becomes this to you today who might be single. You know, what is God's will for you? You assume, well, I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be by myself. So I'm assuming God wants us to marry. Well, you know, Paul's, you remember what Paul said? Paul said, I wish all of you were like me, single. single. So what do you do with that? 
Now, this is so important because if you make the wrong decision here, life can be worse than you think it is. There are worse things than being single. It's called being married to the wrong person. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying here, be careful. And I know, I know in the creation story we've got here, it's easy. It's not good for man to be alone. Okay? But in our lives, make sure, make sure. God, what do you want me to do? I know several men and women who have chosen to be single. Are there challenges? Boy, you better believe there are. Don't believe you are. But sometimes, sometimes God chooses to allow people to remain single. And sometimes his will is that they get married. Well, in the case of Adam, okay, God had already said, well, it's not good you be alone. And so what does, Bible, what does the Bible say? In verse number 18, the second part, I will make a helper who is just right for him. So God looked at Adam and his loneliness, okay, and said, you know what? It's not good for him to be by himself. I will make a helper suited just for him. I love this word. The word helper there is very, very special. Now, there is probably some theological debate. Is this what it actually means? But a chunk of people fall where I'm going to fall today. And I want to encourage particularly the ladies who God has allowed to, to be married. You know, the big debate is, you know, what is the wife's role in marriage? Is she supposed to be a doormat or something? You know, what's the submission thing? If you understand what I'm about to say today, all that disappears. All that disappears. The word, the word helper there, okay, is the word in the Hebrew, ezer kenido. Ezer kenido. Um, it's, used, it's only used 20 times in the entire Bible. 20 times in the entire Bible. And, 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 and every other time, it refers to God himself. So 19 of the times when, when the Hebrew scriptures have ezer kenido... Okay, it's talking about God. God's relationship to us. God's interaction with us. But this one time. And this one time, God chooses to use where he says, I will make a helper. He uses it for Eve. Eve will be Adam's Ezer Kenido. Now, here's what's cool. The word Ezer Kenido, it means sustainer. Sustainer. Um, it means life saver. And it means one called alongside. So ladies, when, when God created the first bride, Eve, and passed on through generations and generations and generations and millennia and millennia, okay, in the Christian relationship, the wife becomes a sustainer for the husband. See, Adam needed a sustainer. Uh, remember, remember, it's about time again, Brent. Remember, Trinity, you know, you've got to have flesh and bones. I mean, we know that God's the ultimate sustainer. God's the ultimate life giver. And God's the ultimate one called alongside. But sometimes we need flesh and bones. We men need flesh and bones sometimes. So God creates Eve and says, Eve, you're going to be Adam's flesh and bones sustainer. Hey, Eve, you're going to be Adam's life saver in the flesh and bones. And this is this a high calling. You are just so important in the marriage relationship. Eve, you're going to be the one called alongside. Now, you know what's really cool? If you fast forward to the New Testament, okay, Jesus said this. He said, oh, oh, I'm going to send you a parakletos. 
I'm going to send you a paracletos. And of the meanings, there's about three meanings. One of the same kind, meaning like Jesus. But one of the meanings of paracletos is one called alongside. So in a flesh and bones way, when, when Eve comes into the relationship with Adam and God in his wisdom, when he does his first marriage, he puts man and he puts Ezer Canedo together. Because God knew Adam needed an Ezer Canedo in the flesh. Ladies, I hope you know how important you are in the relationship. We men will never say this because of our pride. But we need you desperately. We need you desperately. Well, I'm going to make this helper. It's going to be just right for him. And so... 1920, we'll just read through these for time's sake. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. And it's just literally what it sounds like, you know. Hmm, what do you think, Adam? Looks like a cow to me. Okay. Uh, looks like a camel. Oh, ooh, look at that lion. That's a big kitty. Okay. So he starts naming these animals. And I'm sure if you didn't know the story, you'd kind of go, and Why? <laughs> God, why are you including this in your word? And why is it so important that you allowed this to happen? Well, in verse number 20, so Adam gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds, and to all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So, so Adam sees the cows, and there's a boy cow and a girl cow, and he looks at the lions, and there's a boy lion, and Girl lion, he looks at the giraffes, and there's a boy giraffe and girl giraffe, and he going, wait a minute. Because he looks, and there's not one like him. So what is God doing? What is God doing? Okay, listen, you, you gotta see this. You know, before before God gave Adam a mate, okay, he caused a need to grow in Adam's heart. Do you see that? Before God gave you know, Eve to Adam, he created a need. Okay? I mean, what if, you know, what if, what if, what if God just like made, Adam, made Eve and, and walked up one day and said, Hey, Eve, you know, Adam, here's Eve. And he goes, I don't want an Eve. I don't need an Eve. You know, when I was, when I was 1985, my birthday was January and, and it was, I remember it was raining. And I'm sitting on the couch, and the doorbell rings. And Judy goes to the door and comes in with a bundle. And in that bundle was a little itty baby chihuahua dog. There's a thing down south that says if you have asthma, and boy, did I have asthma at that time, that if you have asthma, that if you have a chihuahua dog, the asthma will leave you and go into the chihuahua. No, I know. Those southern people, I understand. But that she was a southerner, I'm a southerner. But you know what I said? I don't want a dog. Don't need a dog. Don't want a dog. You have to take dogs outside. You know, in cold winter nights. Don't want a dog. What if God had just showed up with Eve and said, here she go. And he goes, I don't need Eve. I don't want an Eve. What does he do? He creates the desire so that when she shows up, he says, at last. <laughs> you got it? You got it? And so God does that even so today. 
You know, again, I know when I think about in your singleness today, okay, you know, perhaps God's put that desire. I don't want to be by myself. I want a a helpmate, okay? But let me just throw this out to you. Um, Just like like God created a need, and then again, Adam said at last, you know, just choose carefully. Choose carefully. If you feel like God's leading you into a relationship, choose carefully. Carefully, and there's a lot in the New Testament um, about that. Um, you know, I wrote this, and I think it's original with me. I didn't really say that, though. Don't choose someone you think you can live with. Choose someone you know you can't live without. Amen. Don't just choose someone. Make sure it's someone you can't live Again, I'm going to say it again. There's something worse than loneliness, and that's marrying the wrong person. Come on, you know it's true. You know, have you ever been to the train station? I mean, I use the airport if it makes you feel better. But you go to the train station, and you go to the train station, and there's, there's 45 trains lined up, all of them going somewhere. And you want, you've got in your mind, you want to go to Chicago. So you've got 45 trains. You don't just jump in a train. You pick the one that's going where you want to go. It's the same thing with mates. If you feel like God is calling you into a relationship, ask God, ask God, wait on God, ask God to give you the one that will go where you want to go. Get on the train that's going down the life path that you want to go down. It's just so, it's just so important. Again, choosing a mate is like choosing the right train. Make the right decision. I want you to know, and I need to say this, I'm not single. I can't imagine how lonely it is sometimes. But God loves you. And if God calls you to be single, he'll give you grace to be single. And if God wants you to have a mate, wait on him until he gives you that mate. Don't rush God. Don't rush God. Well, Anyway, so Adam goes to sleep. Um, deep sleep comes on Adam. God goes in, pulls out a rib, you know, makes a woman out of it. He wakes up, and standing there is this incredibly beautiful new creature called woman. And he does literally say, I love the New Living Translation, at last. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from you see that? As, as the relationship is formed in God, okay, Adam's exclamation was, at last, there's one for me. There's one for me. So as we do life together, and listen, if you are married today, if you are married today, if you're married today, okay, realize this, that God has put you in a wonderful relationship. Don't expect your husband to be perfect because he is not. Don't expect your wife to be perfect because she is not. I loved it. I was listening one time, and I want to say it was Beth Moore, but it probably wasn't. Um, but she said, you know, why in the world, ladies, why in the world do you expect your husband, who is not perfect, to meet the needs of your life? There's only one person who can meet the needs of your life, and that's God. Amen. That's God. And guys, the same thing. Don't you go fishing in another pond just because you're not happy. The problem's not your wife. I'm fixing to say something insightful. The problem's not your wife. The problem is your heart with God. 
If you're wanting to fish in another pond, you ain't got a life problem. You got a heart problem. Amen. You got a heart problem. So, so Adam's got this new incredible mate now in her life. And then we come to verse 24. And then God says it. This explains. This is it, guys. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two become united in one. The two become united in one. And this is God's description of the first marriage ceremony. It didn't happen in a church, but it happened in a garden. And the officiating, the officiating minister was God himself. So here's the deal. The idea is to leave one to join to the other, to become one flesh, to leave and to cleave. So if you're single today, this is what you're after. You're after the idea of one you can leave to join to another, okay, to leave and to cleave. If you're married today, okay, and you're Christ followers, this is your goal. This is what it's all about. This is the big idea. The idea is to leave one that's family, that's past, past boyfriends, past girlfriends, all of that, to leave that all behind, to join with another and become one flesh, to leave and to cleave. And that's the basis of Christian marriage. You know, Stephanie Wilson said this, a godly marriage is when two people who deeply love God Decide to love him together. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? A godly marriage is when two people who deeply love God decide to love him together. Wow. Wow. And listen, the way marriage is under attack today, and the way your marriage is under attack, and my marriage is under attack, we've got to understand, we've got to love God deeply together. Can I share something with you that, you know, we heard a long time ago now. It's been years. Um... Andy Stanley, I think, said it. Um, he said that, you know, the divorce rate is about 50%. It still hover, hovers around there, around 50%. And he said, here's the deal. He said, in couples that choose to pray together, it drops to like 20% when we choose. So several, several years ago, Gene and I off and on would pray together. But about, I guess it's been 10 years now. We made the decision to start praying together. And tell her we're still married. Now, that's not a big deal for I mean, big deal for me. She still loves me. So, so what I'm saying is, you know, the deeper we love God, the deeper our love is going to be for each other. That's what I'm trying to say. Put God in the middle of your marriage. Put God in the middle of your parenting. Put God in the middle of your family. And see what happens. Well, one more scripture and we're done. Verse 25, now, now, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, I have to admit, I mean, it's still when I read that, I have this imagery in my mind, you know, they were naked. It has really nothing to do with clothing. It has to do with they could be authentic. They could be, they would be transparent with one another. They were naked and, and, there, was, and there was no shame. There was no shame. And that was God's intention. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen, the beauty of marriage goes beyond skin and to the heart. It thrives. A marriage thrives in authenticity, being real with one another, okay, and survives transparency. When you are in love with one another, when God is first, 
Even those big bumps that come, those hard bumps, it survives that kind of transparency. I need to tell you something. There's difficulty there. It can survive that kind of transparency. But it all hinges on God first. God first. Not your career. Not, not your kids. You think your kids hung the moon? The person you're married to hung the moon. The kids are just byproducts of that. The kids are byproducts of that. So, so it's so important then that we put God at the center and then it, then it builds from there. At the center of the marriage. And, and by the way, singleness, may I go back one more time to you guys? You know, God, if you're single today, God is the center of your universe. And then when God allows that universe to expand, give Him honor and glory. And then if kids or grandkids come in, but always keep in mind, God first, each other's second. God first, each other's second. I think Martin Luther had the right idea. <laughs> Martin Luther! The 500-year-ago Martin Luther, he said this, Let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. Way to go, Martin. Come on, amen? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Over the next four weeks, I really, I really hope that over the next four sermons, they won't be your standard, just what you expect me to say about marriage and family. I hope... If God will allow me and give me insight that I need and the wisdom I need, I want to bring in some new uh, approaches, new angles into marriage and family um, that will help us as we do life together. One of the things I, I believe about church is that church, we, we learn to do life together. It's a, it's a great place to learn theology, and that's fine, that's good. hope we do that. But also we learn to do life together. So my prayer over the next four weeks is that we'll learn together how to do life together. Now, if you're here today, I didn't take the time to do this in first service, but I'm going to do it right now real quick, and that is this. It all starts here. You know, if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, maybe you're watching on Facebook and you're not a Jesus follower, you know, some of this stuff will, will help you. It'll help you have a good marriage. It really will. But the most important thing is this relationship with Jesus Christ. Not church, not religion, Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. So if you're here, you're watching on Facebook, or you're here in the room, you know, God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. It's incredible. It's a great story. You know, we sang about that today um, in, the, um, in the worship set, you know. And, and there's nothing like God. There's just nothing like God. So my friend Brent's going to be standing down front as we do our last worship song, which is our invitation time. If you want somebody to pray with you, the altar's open. Um, we'll come and we'll pray with you. You can come pray by yourself. Um, if you need Jesus today, if you've not had that relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, for me, it's been about 48 years, and it's just been incredible. It's just been incredible. So we're glad to share with you um, about Jesus today. So I hope you'll be committed to be here the next four weeks as we learn about God and learn to do life together. Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing this today. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I want to pray for every person, Father, here today um, who has made that commitment in marriage. Father, may we learn how to do life better together with that. Father, for my friends who are going through the loneliness of singleness, or perhaps, perhaps um, they're single by choice. Father, they just that's the way they want to do life. Father, whatever way, Lord, help them seek your will and seek the one you would have for them. And Father, we also pray this. If there's someone here today who has never trusted Christ, I want to pray, Father, that today would be the day. Perhaps they're listening on Facebook, that today would be the day 
they, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege of being here and sharing your word today. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name.